Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome, Welcome to, to Transatlantic, Transatlantic Crime. Crime. <laughs> so close. Alyssa. <laughs> Good evening, Rachel. <laughs> Good evening. How are you? I know you've only just gotten up, but... Uh, yeah, I'm good. I always, like, prep what I'm going to say at the beginning, and then I just completely <laughs> forget it. Well, it's okay. We're not being paid for this, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what the fuck ever. When we are, then then I'll be more stressed out about it. Then you can start to worry about talking bollocks. <laughs> right. So I said last time to you that I was going to watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? Yeah. So I found an illegal stream mm-hmm. and it was amazing. <laughs> but I had to put my computer on an American VPN. Like, I don't know. I think it's illegal, but I doubt anyone's going to report me. But um, oh, my fucking God. It's so good. Just how the first episode ends. I loved it. I loved how it ended. Yeah. If anybody can just Google like watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark online, like free stream or whatever just fucking do it because i would like to buy it from hbo but they won't release it over here and if you think i'm waiting you are high like so yeah i basically hunted it down just like i said i would and um yeah like i know they've so there's they they always have like survivors because he was such a prolific rapist wasn't he they always have survivors available for like interviews and stuff so i've seen i feel like i've watched a fair few documentaries on him and i've seen some of the survivors that i recognize from different stuff right There was a lady on there, I can't remember her name, but she's wearing like a yellow blouse. And she's like, he got me and he, she said something like, he was leading me into the living room and I was talking to him and he said, shut up. And she said, I'm sorry. Yes. And she was like, and she was like, that's just what women were like back then. And I was just like, yes. (laughs) Oh God, I loved her. Yeah, back then and now even too, so. I know, but I just, yeah, I just loved it. It kind of is like, they talk about it from like a really like gender specific feminist stance, don't they? Like they say that there wasn't, if there like there was no female police officer there to deal with them after they'd been sexually right. assaulted and raped. So they just felt really horrible, like talking to it, talking about it to a man and stuff. And like, there was that one lady detective who was amazing and like took them to the hospital and stayed with them the whole time and like all this stuff yeah and she had an amazing beehive hairdo oh my gosh it was it's great i was so in it as well for like the fashion yeah the hairdos the house decor california in the 70s is my dream house (laughs) oh it it is the decor is just on point like and the clothes and the hair and the makeup yeah loving all of it i agree i agree i think the feminist take on it too is the feminist focus on it is it's because of michelle mcnamara oh definitely yeah yeah i'm sure if you watched a golden state killer east area rapist documentary from 10 years ago it would be different yeah definitely and there's also that husband and wife that are both on camera yes because i think that like obviously a lot of marriages break down naturally anyway like there's not many people that stay married for like their whole lives but these people are like this couple, he and he is just sat there going, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Like, I just didn't know how to cope with it. And it's like really refreshing to see a guy of that age, of that era. Like, he's just, and he just sits there and lets his wife talk about it. And then he just is like, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Just like admits it. That point in the documentary in the episode is when I had to switch it off with Will. Because Will couldn't handle that part. Yeah, it's like putting yourself in that position. Yeah, he was imagining being in that position and it made yeah. him, it was too much for him, which I understand. I can totally see why that would make you sad. <laughs> so if you get a chance to watch that, I don't want to like bore the tits off people talking about it constantly, but <laughs> it's either that or The Sopranos, so. <laughs> yes. Okay, any more news? I've just been looking at the stats, I know you have been, of like all of our listeners and we've had over yep. a thousand listeners, which is awesome. I... I'm so chuffed yeah. with it. 
I kind of don't have like a touch point of like, this is how many we should have, but it feels like it's going well. I think so. I'm really good with that. More than our families are listening, so. (laughs) (laughs) My family aren't listening. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can tell you that for free. I I mean, like, Um, more than five people are listening, which is me, you, our boyfriend, husband. Boyfriends that we made. (laughs) (laughs) My best friend doesn't even listen to it, like. So yeah, it's it's very very good, and that yeah, thanks everybody that bothers to listen to us harp on. Yeah, I appreciate it so much, yeah. and I'm glad that you enjoy it as much as we do. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Um, okay, so this week it is killing for cash. Yes, right. Yes, do please a- tell me you got the memo on it. <laughs> Watch, I'm like, what? I thought it was conspiracy <laughs> theories again. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Right, yeah, so you are first this week, I think. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah, let's just do it. Elizabeth Wheat, a correctional officer at a California state prison, was 40 years old when she married Nuzio Bagarin in July 1997. No intro, just straight in there with the story. <laughs> I don't have an intro, I just, like... Will it, like, give it away? It's pretty straightforward okay killing for cash they got married pretty quick (laughs) so she's a prison she's a prison officer right yes that's what you said okay he's just a dude a deadbeat dude okay i just feel like you just like everyone knows where it's going that's okay (laughs) there's there's how they killed them there's where there's when yeah i know i just how quickly they got caught if they got caught i'm sorry it isn't aliens rachel but we've just got to get on with it okay (laughs) We can go back to conspiracies next week. Yes. No, it's okay. We'll <laughs> wait a while for that. Okay. Okay, so okay. she's 40 years old. She re-meets Nuzio because they knew each other as teenagers, but then they had recently reconnected. Like you and Will. N- yes, but I'm not comparing the <laughs> story to me and Will. <laughs> I wasn't. I'm just giving people background, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, for context, me and Will knew each other in third grade. Cute. So we were eight? Eight years old. Okay, so not really the same, but... Yeah. You reconnected, yes. Yeah, we reconnected. That's where the comparisons stop. Okay. <laughs> if police ask. <laughs> so Elizabeth was a prison guard. She had worked her way up. She bought her own home and her own car. She was close with her family, and she was ready to have her own family. So remember, she was 40 years old, so... Yeah. What year is this? 1997. Okay, cool. So it's not like the 70s where she'd be, like, washed up by that point. No. Yeah. Times have moved on. Right. So Nuzio and Elizabeth dated for a short time and they quickly married in Vegas. Nuzio and his 10-year-old daughter moved in with Elizabeth. Three days later, Nuzio took out a $1 million life insurance policy on his new wife. That's got to be a bingo. I don't think it is on the bingo card, but it should be. (laughs) Should be. Yeah, and there was some articles too where it was like, he didn't bother taking one out on his own life, just hers. So it wasn't like a mutual decision. Yeah, like let's plan for the future. Right. Over the next few months, Elizabeth's family and co-workers noticed a change in her. She wasn't her usual hardworking, mellow self. She called in sick to work often, and she saw her parents less and less. Nuzio had also run up large amounts... Oh, sorry. I'm still waking <laughs> up. <laughs> That's Okay. Nuzio had also run up large debts under Elizabeth's name, and he had a gambling habit. He would convince Elizabeth to stay to stay home and call in sick to work and stay home with his daughter while he went to work, air quotes, which was the <laughs> casino. <laughs> I kind of love gambling stories because it reminds me of my favorite episode of The Simpsons, which is the one where Springfield gets a casino. <laughs> And Marge gets addicted. Yeah, and Homer's just like, because you have a gambling problem. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I say to Carly whenever she gets a scratch card from the shop. (laughs) You should bring Carly to Vegas. Oh my god, I, yeah, I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Like, thing is though, she's the sort of person that would, like, I was like, okay, I'm gambling, I'm going to gamble $10 and that's it. And I just fed... 10 one dollar notes into a machine and you just went i was like oh and you were like no you didn't win anything i'm like oh that's it is it (laughs) (laughs) might as well have eaten those ten dollars i think also we were so proud when we got like two (laughs) dollars i was i was watching a documentary about um people who live under vegas like in the storm drains and stuff oh yeah 
there's like a massive tunnel system under Vegas because it flooded once right. and they didn't want it to happen again. So they built like these huge drains and people just live under them. And then like to make money, they go and get like the little two people win $2 and they just leave it, don't they? Because they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like we wouldn't leave it because we were impressed. <laughs> but like normal, normal Vegas people are like, fuck's sake, I'm not even bothering to take that right. to the like cash in place so yeah they just go around and collect all the little winnings and then they make like ten dollars or whatever oh wow okay and then they gamble that so did we even cash in that two dollars though i don't think we did it seems like the sort of thing i would do (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you did i cashed in my two dollars oh what you think you're better than me (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like everyone else who's going up to cash up is like it's over $50 for sure, or over $20. It's not a competition, Rachel. <laughs> Money's money. I'd just be embarrassed if I was like, can I have $2, please? I, I've got an English accent, so I can do it, no problem. No problem. I was like, we don't have this sort of thing here. So, gimme. So, Nuzio had so, yeah. a gambling habit. He also apparently didn't wait very long before he began dating a waitress at a nearby restaurant and telling her that he was unhappily married. So, the Elizabeth didn't know about this. No. But the waitress knew he was married. Come on, waitress, you can do better than that. Right. You don't need some shitty gambling married guy. Right. It's just like, from what I read and what I listened to, the California podcast. Ah, yeah. She's doing really well. Yeah, she's very detailed. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're just like, yeah, I think this is what happened. <laughs> Did the waitress know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he started dating this waitress. Bear in mind, like, they recently reconnected. They got married super quick in Vegas. It sounds like he completely took advantage of a woman who just turned 40 and felt like she had to get married. My story is a tad similar to that. Yeah. In its, yeah, in the intent of the person. Right. But yeah, go on. In the California episode, she kind of goes into how he was most likely abusing her as well, like manipulating her and abusing her. So, because a lot of her family and friends noticed that she was becoming more and more isolated and withdrawn so so it's a bit it's similar for it's similar with dirty john yes like and they call it um love bombing which is where you basically come into someone's life and you're like oh my god you're my dream woman Mm -hmm. like marry me let's live let's be together forever and it's just like far too soon right and if you were in a really good place in your life you'd be like jesus that's too much yeah but because they are like a bit like, for want of a better word, desperate. Right. They're like, oh my god. And when people say it seems too good to be true, they're like, why don't you want me to be happy? Right, yeah. I never have this. This is my chance. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they they think that that's most likely what happened, and her family didn't trust him as well, or her parents. Classic. Yeah. So he started dating this waitress, and then not too long after that, he made contact with some Los Angeles gang members... They were apparently, one or two of them was his old school friends or, like, boyhood friends. And... This guy's just like a fucking Rolodex of shit decisions. I know. (laughs) Gamble, cheat on my wife, friends are gangsters. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Also, I feel bad for his 10-year-old daughter. Like, what what was she like? You know, what was she... Hopefully, I mean, I wonder if you said they live with her, don't they? I was going to say, hopefully her mum is like taking her out of that crap but no apparently he was already in the system like he was already in trouble with the law for for assault against his daughter's mom or something along those lines so he was like so he only had her a bit or no he he she lived with him and elizabeth but he had the mom she was the one who had like i don't know if it was a restraining order or, or or what but he had apparently abused her, so. Ugh. Yeah. So he made contact with his boyhood friends, which were Los Angeles gang members, and it was with the intention to kill his wife and collect the insurance money. So Ugh. this was all within <laughs> not even a year of being married. For the love of God. <laughs> I feel like at the moment we're just a who's who of human shit. <laughs> <laughs> just a dictionary of... Yeah. <laughs> Want to hear about something shitty someone did? Yeah. 
All right, so on the night of January 17, 1998, six months into their marriage, Elizabeth, Nuzio, and their daughter went on a shopping trip in Burbank about an hour from their home. As they shopped in Macy's department store, I've been there in Burbank. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. Nuzio very obviously gave Elizabeth a wad of cash. for her to hold in her purse. Oh, I see where this is going. On the way to Anaheim that night, which I think that's where they lived. Uh, Anaheim is where Disneyland is, by the way. Nice. It's like an hour away, too, which is, it's really weird that they were shopping in Burbank, which is an hour away from their home. Like, Talissa, you've experienced LA traffic. Why would you go all the way an hour away to go to Macy's? There's definitely a macy's in your in anaheim oh yeah and also an hour isn't an hour is it it's like three hours exactly two and a half hours (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. so that was another strange part of the story it was like why did they go all the way up there but i'll tell you why Uh, okay so on their way back to anaheim that night they were on the freeway and they were being followed in their car alleged gang members followed their car for almost 30 miles and waved a gun at them on the freeway Be cool. Save the gun for the event. Yeah. This is all. Anyone could have seen you. This is all according to Nuzio. This is what he told the police. So. Oh, okay. So this is probably shit anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Some of it is probably true, but, you know, being followed and stuff like that. But yeah, like waving their gun at them. I'm sure that was an embellishment. Mm-hmm. In an effort to ditch the drivers, Nuzio pulled onto a freeway on ramp and got boxed in by the stalkers. While he hovered over his daughter to protect her, Elizabeth got out of the car to confront the harassers. So that, all of that, what I just read was Nuzio's account. What he said happened. Yes. Yeah. Elizabeth was shot twice, once in the face, once in the chest. The gunman also stole her purse and then fled the scene. Another driver on the freeway called 911. When officers arrived on the scene, they found Elizabeth's badge lying on the ground next to her body and Nuzio and his daughter hiding behind their car. They shut down the freeway and began extensively searching the area for clues. Nearby the family car, they found torn pieces of paper strewn on the ground. These would later become key pieces of evidence. Ugh. I just, I dread to think what's on that paper. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I hate you bitch or something. <laughs> also, like, I know you got to defend your daughter, but like, one, you've planned to murder your wife with your daughter in the car. That's fucked up. Yeah. And two, oh yeah, I was protecting my daughter and she was confronting a guy waving a gun around. <laughs> like, well, come on. They, I mean, this is his account. So I'll talk a lot about it a little bit, but she was a correctional officer. So she, she probably already had experience dealing with, you know, people in prison where yeah maybe she knew people yeah she knew how to talk to them and um maybe diffuse the situation or or maybe she was pissed off and she was like what what's going on is this because i'm an officer are you you know did i piss someone off yeah that's true nuzio told police a couple of people he perceived as gang members had taken notice when he and elizabeth had exchanged a wad of money in the mall one article that i read said that he was being very obvious about giving her the cash. <laughs> Here, honey, will you put this in your purse for me? This $5,000? <laughs> yeah, count it. In small See? bills. <laughs> Nuzio described the gangster's car as a dark blue, late 1970s Oldsmobile. He gave detectives a license number that, upon checking, did not match to anyone in the system. Nuzio described the four men in the Oldsmobile as a pair of black men, and two men were either white or Latino. Okay. In the immediate aftermath of the shooting, police thought the case was an act of road rage. They considered the fact that Elizabeth was a correctional officer and thought she may have made the wrong person angry, or that it was a possible carjacking and robbery committed by some street gang members gone wrong. But the more investigators dug into the killing, the more their sights turned away from the gang theory, and towards something closer to home. Mm. In an interview with the Times, is this on the bingo card because it's where the person get in, who get involved did with it, the press. Yes. Let me quickly reference the bingo card, but I'm pretty sure that is true. Okay. <laughs> it should be, though. Well, we have inserted themselves into the investigation, but I think he's already on. He's in the investigation. Yeah. Uh, we've got the husband in it. 
So that's definitely a tick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that we haven't got on there um, that they were like, went to, they the talked press. to the press. Yeah. Talk to the press, yeah. But I think inserted themselves into the investigation is kind of talking to the press slash that. Right. But if you were involved in the crime, like, visibly, yeah. then maybe that doesn't count. But, yeah. I think I'm going to keep this card up. So okay. I'll play along to your story. Okay. So in an interview with the Times shortly after the shooting, Nuzio said he believed his family had been targeted by the attackers while they shopped. He said four men had followed the family as they drove on the freeway and eventually cut them off before getting out of the vehicle and shooting his wife. Nuzio described his wife as full of joy, sensitive, and a wonderful person. I'm sure she was. Yeah, I believe that Until she was. Until you came in and fucked it all up. Yeah. <laughs> so a few years after the killing, Nuzio collected most of the $1 million life insurance he had on Elizabeth. He had also become difficult in the interview process and became very protective over his daughter, not letting them interview her over time and using their grieving as a way to get out of dealing with the police. So remember, his daughter also witnessed what had happened. Yeah. And they did question yeah. her, but... She's probably scared shitless of him as well. Oh, yeah, totally. I think if he can control a grown woman, like, think about how much fear he could, or, like, manipulation he right. could uh, exert over a child. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nuzio had even sued the police for harassing him. The suit alleged that police treated him as if he were a criminal after his wife was brutally murdered. The two parties settled on approximately $25,000. <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> That's infuriating, too, because it's like, That's you so just annoying. got most of a million dollar life insurance, and now you're suing for even more money for something that okay, you actually moment, this did. Is, this is working out really well for him. Yes. <laughs> So while all of this initially caused red flags, with minimal evidence and an uncooperative witness, the case went cold for more than 10 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. It was not forgotten by Elizabeth's family. Thanks to the no. perseverance of Elizabeth's elderly father. Also, I tried looking for his name, but I couldn't find it. So, Oh, I bet it's something great like Ted or like, <laughs> I don't know. What's a dad name meat? in America? <laughs> That's a, that was her last name. So, what's a what's like a dad classic dad name in America? Like my dad's name is Brian. That's a classic dad name. Yeah, definitely. Um, Paul. Paul. Yeah, and uh, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin's quite a dad name. Yeah. Carly's dad was called Kevin. Um, they're great. I love dad names. Yeah, David. That's my dad's name. Oh yeah, or Dave. That, that's timeless. And, Timeless Dave. My dad Dave. Yeah, that's pretty timeless. <laughs> Who else? Like, there's got to be more dad names than that. Why has my mind gone completely blank? What's your boyfriend's dad's name? Oh, well, he's French. So, <laughs> his, right. So, every every time he tells me someone's name, I'm like, is that a boy or a girl? Because <laughs> his dad's name is Michel. Oh, okay. But it's just French version of Michael. Yeah. You say Michel. Yeah. And his granddad is called Dominique. Okay. But it's Dominic. <laughs> but it's like in a French... They, they just say Dominique. <laughs> yeah, so... I would have that confusing. problem too. I'd be like, are you talking about a man or a woman right now? My dad, Michel. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> I've gotten used to it now, though. But yeah, yeah, there's no quality dad names coming out of that. Oh, maybe that is a standard dad name in France, though. <sighs> guess so my dad mitch michelle <laughs> jerry that's a classic dad name yes my stepdad's called terry as well so okay. that's another one yeah okay so thanks to the perseverance of El elizabeth's elderly father let's just call him ted yeah <laughs> just about to say that in 2009, the case fell into the hands of Sergeant Darren Wyatt, who was on light duty recovering from major back surgery when he decided to give the cold case another look into. This was about 11 years after the murder. During his investigation, he found a phone bill that Nuzio tried to eliminate. These contained calls to the supposed gang members during that same time, which he, I think at the time he said that he was just calling his boyhood friend. Yeah. I love stuff like this, like good old fashioned detective work. Yeah, like this is this a phone is some bill. More, like it's it's weird that they didn't do this when the crime happened, and that it took you know ten to twelve years later. But it is really good 
detective work. Yeah, especially from this guy. Right. Also, those torn up papers that they found nearby the car on the day of the shooting, they were also re-examined and they were put together because they were like torn up. On it, they found that Elizabeth had scribbled the words light blue and a license plate number. So this was, it wasn't the same information that Nuzio had given the police when they gave a license plate number. And he also said that the car was a dark blue old mobile. So he just lied. I did think that the 70s car in the, again, that's on the bingo, like conspicuous car. (laughs) Like that's quite like a a 70s car in the 90s. It's still going to be like... It's going to stick out. Maybe, yeah, because yeah. it's a certain style sort right. of thing. So the papers also had Nuzio's fingerprints on them, which means that he oh, was... Oh, what an idiot. Yeah, he was the one that <laughs> tore them up and just threw them. And just like throw, like like confetti yeah. above your head. Like put it in, put it in your pocket, eat it, right. shove it up your ass. Yeah. Do something with it that isn't in plain sight of everybody, like... It's just, oh my god, but it's I so mean, annoying. The detectives, the police at the time did a really good job for finding that because imagine searching the freeway and you find little pieces <laughs> of paper. Like, there's trash everywhere on the freeway. Yeah, fuck that. How would you know what's relevant and what's not, you know? Well, in my mind, it's an A4 piece of paper ripped into four pieces. <laughs> and they're about... 10 centimeters from the car like that's how i see it but the way you're seeing it is completely different i'm imagining like a little post-it that is more reasonable to have in a car (laughs) (laughs) rather than like a scroll (laughs) scroll (laughs) a quill (laughs) so in february 2012 police officers arrested 55 year old nuzio in rancho cucamonga california fun name yeah. Jose Sandoval, the owner of the light blue car that they ended up matching up to the license plate that was written down. Yes. He was brought in and interrogated, and with fear of being put in jail, Sandoval admitted to everything. He told investigators that his cousin Guillermo Espinosa asked him to use his car for a job the day of the murder, and he also named a third person in the car, Rudy Duran. So this guy, Jose Sandoval, he just sang to the police, told them everything. Sang like a canary. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they were rubbing their hands together. Nuzio went on trial on August 21st, 2013 in a Santa Ana court for conspiracy to murder his wife for financial gain. On September 6, 2013, the jury, after deliberating for three days, found the defendant guilty of hiring Espinoza and Sandoval to murder his wife. On October 4th, 2013, the judge sentenced him to 25 years to life. Okay. So his daughter is also 21 now, right? Yeah. I didn't think about that. So what's she up to? Right. Like, I tried to find out. Do you fancy shedding some light on it? (laughs) I did try to find out, but I'm sure because she was only a child at the time, maybe they just didn't want her name displayed everywhere. Yeah, fair. And in the california episode she names her she names the daughter and i didn't want to do that because it's like it's a bit harsh yeah (laughs) she didn't do anything wrong right also if he let's say that she testified against him and he got off like you're not going to do that are you right especially if you're scared of him yeah so exactly yeah even if the police said will you testify she probably would have been like nah right okay so this last little bit in october 2013 Rudy Duran and Jose Sandoval pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. Both men were sentenced to time served and were released from jail. So they had already gone to jail for other reasons. That's a bit of a backhander, I think. Yeah. I, for there was a huge, incriminating him. Yeah. And they they did come to like a plea deal, especially Jose did. And his attorney really pushed the fact that when he was out of prison for what he had done you know that wasn't related to this he really tried to turn his life around so you know when he told police everything about what happened he he was like i'm i'm a changed person you know yeah i don't want to go he must have had a fucking great lawyer yeah that too he must have had the best he must have had like soul goodman right like (laughs) (laughs) i'm watching breaking bad again by the way (laughs) oh really i should do that too. yeah this last little bit so the last guy, the one who actually did the shooting, um, mm-hmm. Guillermo Espinoza, 
So on March 4th, 2016, more than 18 years after the ambush and murder of Elizabeth Wheat, the last defendant was apprehended in Mexico. The authorities extradited Guillermo Espinoza back to California, where he was sentenced to 21 years in prison. And that's the story of Elizabeth and Nuzio. What's his last name? Begarin. <laughs> yes. That was great. Yeah. I love like, I love stuff that gets solved like 10, 15 years later because you properly lose hope. And then you lose hope, and the person who did it thinks yeah. that they got away with it. Oh my god, how smug would you be on like the fifth year? You'd be like, I am out of here. Yeah, like there is no, this is done. Right, like, got my million if they didn't dollars. Give me then, yeah, and it, he even sued them for more money. I know. <laughs> this guy's a well, dick. Oh yeah, he's just a huge bell end. Okay, well. My story is, it was a really interesting one because it happened in 2016. Okay. So it's like really not that long ago. And I remember when I was younger and like the OJ trial was on and I wasn't interested because I wasn't. And like, we were too young. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But now I'm just like, I remember that actually being on TV. Like, Mm. And this, and this, I followed the story and it it unfolds and it unfolded on the news in front of me. So I was like, Oh my god, did you hear about that? Oh my god, did you hear about this next bit? So, yeah, yeah it should be like quite a twisty one. Ooh, okay. This is the story of Helen Bailey. You probably haven't heard of her, but she was born in Ponteland near Newcastle upon Tyne mm-hmm. and was brought up there. She gained a, a degree in physiology at Thames Polytechnic in London, intending to become a forensic scientist before undertaking postgraduate research in a teaching hospital. Then she changed career to work in the media and she worked on licensing and marketing campaigns for cartoons like The Rugrats, The Simpsons, Garfield, and also on Nintendo. That's fun. Yeah, really fun. But her real passion was writing and so she always just wrote in the evenings. I'm sure she made like a fair bit of money as well because I found that when I was living in London, like that's where obviously all the big brands are and all the big companies are and stuff. So you do get to work on quite exciting stuff and you do get to like meet people that work at, I don't know, like Buzzfeed and like stuff like that. Warner Brothers um, and yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like Vice and like stuff like that. So it is quite like an exciting place to live and you do have impressive job titles and stuff. So she then got a temp job as a secretary. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why. I think it, and I think it was at the same company hmm. um, because she, her, then she met her first husband a guy called John Simfield in 1996, and they got married. Isn't that when your crime happened? 1998, January 1998. Oh, okay. So around that time, okay. though, yeah. Helen was a really, really good writer, and she was really successful. She wrote five books in a series that was called The Crazy World of Electra Brown. Hmm. Um, I've never heard of it, but it's basically like a teen like book, like Twilight or something of that nature, like kind I'd of serialized. It. Yeah. Like, um, I might look into it and see, like, what it's about. But um, she was nominated for a, in air quotes, Queen of Teen Award in 2010. (laughs) Yeah, so she's so successful. She also wrote books for younger children, like picture books and storybooks. And all in all, she had 22 books of short stories, picture books, and young adult fiction published. So she's doing good. And then in February 2011, her husband John and her went on holiday to Barbados at this point they've been together for 22 years and they've been married for the last 15 kind of that's a fucking long time it is a long um, time yeah uh, she was on the beach when she heard him cry out and all she could do was watch as he was pulled under by the riptide and he drowned oh no and died yeah that's so sad so yeah they were really happy and then as a result of this loss she started a blog called planet grief to help her work through the grieving process. It's like everything she touched turned to gold because even that was really successful and it soon had over 10,000 followers. Wow. So on the back of this, she wrote her first book for adults um, called When Bad Things Happen in Good Bikinis in 2015. That's basically about her watching her husband drown. Yeah. So the book was a huge hit and she had loads of like media coverage. She spoke about it on Sky News and on BBC Radio 4 and Women's Hour, which is... A really really um sort of like illustrious spot to get yeah 
And then in the book, she also mentions her new relationship, which started in October 2011 with Ian Stewart. So he had lost his partner when his wife died and he was left a single father of two adult sons. How did he his was wife soft- die? It was complications with epilepsy. Okay. So It wasn't like sketchy. Well. <laughs> uh, Rachel, you are guessing my story. I have tasted my medicine and it is bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he was a software engineer and she met him on an online bereavement forum. Because they were both bereaved, obviously. Yeah. But looking at this, it's only just occurred to me that her husband died in February 2011. Yeah. So between February and October, she wrote a hit book, got 10,000 followers and started a new relationship. Wow. <laughs> like, what, that's quite a lot, isn't it? She must be like an A-type personality. She's just go, go, go. Yeah. Because what's that? February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. That's eight months. Wow. Like. One month to write a book. One month to start a blog. One month. (laughs) (laughs) One month to like get a new husband. Yeah. That's tons of time, (laughs) Talissa. Jeez. I can spend like that long figuring out whether I'm going to like, I don't know, fucking throw away a plant or something. Well, how long did it take us to put on this podcast? (laughs) Jesus. I don't even want to admit like. We, we fannied around. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no other word for it. Yeah. Um, so, oh, and um, for your American listeners, <laughs> when I say fannied around, I mean like minge, <laughs> not like arse. <laughs> so, yeah. So in the book, so she, men- she mentions Ian Stewart in the books and she calls him her gorgeous grey haired widower. Okay. So she had already met him pretty soon yeah. after her old husband's death um, on this bereavement forum. So fast forward, and five years later, they've moved to a place called Royston, which is north of London near Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I googled that, so I know it's right. Helen was 51, and Ian was 56. Okay. So on the morning of the 15th of April, Ian called the police to report Helen missing. He said he hadn't seen her since Monday and he hadn't heard from her. He also said even her best friends haven't heard from her. Ian told the police operator his fiance, because they were engaged at this point, had been very, very anxious and very worried about a lot of things. He said she has talked about us wanting space because things just haven't been going well re- for her recently or for us. He said they were engaged to be married and she was stressed about the upcoming wedding. He added she left a note and she said in the note something like i need space and time alone i'm going to broadstairs broadstairs is a seaside town in kent which is two and a half hours away okay and she owned a holiday cottage there so what she basically said was i'm going to the holiday cottage and she also said on the note please don't contact me in any way right when the police operator asked ian if he was sure his partner was not at home he said we have got a quite large house and I have literally checked everywhere. <laughs> what does <laughs> that even mean? Weird exchange. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, are you sure she's not at home? Like, why would you ask someone that? Right. Like, oh, uh, anyway. I have a really big house, so maybe. Yeah, like, I mean, you'd think someone would have checked their house before they called the police. But right. anyway, Ian claimed he had been in contact with Helen's friends and her and her brother and none of them had heard from her. He said he'd asked people to check the cottage that she said she was going to, but there was no sign there either. And when asked to describe her, he could not recall the colour of her eyes. He had to look up both her mobile phone number and her date of birth. What? And he was un- Yeah, and he was unable to give the address of their holiday home in Kent. He doesn't know her date of birth and they've been together for five years? He doesn't know her eye colour. They've been <laughs> together for five years. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you the mobile phone number. I couldn't tell you Vince's mobile phone number. I I know Will's because I've just made myself memorize it in case anything ever happened. Of happen. emergency. Yeah. That's clever. All of those things. I feel like after five years, you would what know. What color are Will's eyes? Quick, now. <laughs> Rachel! <laughs> Sliding no, green. off this they're guy. Green. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. Thousands would have. <laughs> So, this is not looking good for you, by the way. No. (laughs) The last official sighting of Helen was on the 11th of April, four days earlier, when she was seen by neighbours out walking her dog, and this is the best bit, 
a miniature dash hound called Boris. Oh, <laughs> Boris. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> Police checked the cottage and found that she wasn't there. It came to light after questioning that she disappeared around the five-year anniversary of her first husband's death and the police thought it might have set off a period of, de- of depression for Helen. Okay. But her brother and mother described her disappearance as out of character and the police described it as perplexing. So, Also, she doesn't sound later, like a depressing, a depressive person. No, I mean, like you say, she's just got on with it. Like, right. she literally made good out of the shittiest situation ever. Yeah. So, yeah, she doesn't really seem like some the sort of person that would just, like, walk away when things got tough. Right. A month later, and she still hasn't been found. So her brother goes on TV to appeal for information about her disappearance. And he said, if you see this appeal, Helen, please let us know you are okay. It's really sad as well. Like, mm. she clearly love, loves her to bits. Police carried out extensive searches of the local area and went through hundreds of hours of CCTV. There was no evidence that she had tried to contact friends and she hasn't taken any money out of her bank account at this point. So they then searched the home from top to bottom, including all the grounds, because it's a really massive house with loads of loads of um, uh, like outdoor space. Mm-hmm. And there's a septic tank on the property and they even search in there. So do you know what a septic tank is? Yeah, that's what Chris Watts put the bodies in, I think. Oh no, he put them he put the little girls' bodies in an oil tank. Yes, you're right. But imagine that tank but underground. Right. It it looks like that, but it's full of sewage. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's just when it's just when a house is so big or like a bit older that it wouldn't be in a row of houses, so you wouldn't hook it up to like the mains like plumbing. Right. Like the plumbing system because right. it's a little bit out of the way, it's really massive. It would take more effort to do that. So they just have a big septic tank where all the sewage goes and then they just have to have that emptied like every, uh, God knows how long, I don't know. Sounds gross. Obviously, that's what you have to do if you've got a massive big old house. So they checked that and nothing was in there. Yeah, there's nothing. They don't find anything in the house. They don't find anything on the property. They questioned Ian multiple times. His stories were muddled. I have a quick question. Yeah? Where's the dog? Um... I don't want to talk about that yet. Oh, <laughs> no. I know. The worst bit. Okay, so they questioned Ian multiple times. His stories were muddled, filled with random rambling tales, and he said he couldn't remember much from the day that she went missing. But he did take part in the searches, and he also paid to have flyers um, printed and distributed them as well. When questioned by the police, Ian and Helen's neighbours related episodes when Ian revealed volcanic rages. So members of Ian's former bowls club, so you know like where you just throw a ball at another ball and try and hit it on a very, very smooth bit of green. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So he was in a club for that. And um, they recalled how he was obsessed with money and extremely frugal. He accounted for every penny he spent or was owed, and he caused a scene at a bowls match when he was asked to pay for a cup of tea as he argued that it should have been covered in his membership fee. Wow. <laughs> What's that, fucking like a pound? A pound 25? Not, a, not even that. Like, what a fucking skinflint. I hate people who are stingy. So I, do it's I. One of the, it's one of the worst qualities, I think, a, in a, someone. A lot of the people that I know that are, are pretty wealthy. So it's like... You yeah. could be, you could afford a cup of tea. You can afford this, like, whatever it is that you're fighting for right now. Yeah, but you don't get rich by being generous, Rachel. <laughs> That's true. I always think that, like, <laughs> yeah, whenever people are fucking stingy cunts, it is always someone who has money. Right, like, yeah. Because that's the thing, because if they didn't have money, you wouldn't call them a stingy cunt. Right. You'd just be like, okay, fair enough. No, no, no. I I had a good friend in in uni that he didn't have a ton of money, but it was like, and and I get it because I was poor too, like, but I would still go out and have fun. But like, it was like every cent of every pound or every dollar, it was like counted for, like calculated. It was just like, Dude, you need to relax. Like everything's gonna be. Are you talking about my ex? (laughs) What? No, (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) No, in his defense, he wasn't stingy. But yeah, because I wouldn't go out with someone stingy because it is just horrific. It's not fun. I, I 
I've had a boyfriend as well who, again, earned a lot more money than me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't have any money. And we were at the till in like Tesco's. And he basically like, oh, he was like, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. I'll like get whatever. And he had like, he's like, what do you want to drink tonight? I think we were just like drinking in the house, whatever. So I got yeah. like a bottle of Prosecco. And he put it on the till and then he put the divider between his stuff and the bottle of Prosecco. So I had to pay for it, even though I literally had like 20 quid to last me for like the rest of whatever. What? Did he just forget or something? What? I don't know. Like, but when we got out, I was like, I can't believe you did that. And he was like, what? And I was like, you, you basically forced me into paying for that when I told you I couldn't afford it. And he was like, oh, sorry. Like, I just didn't really think about it. I was just like. I feel like you did think about it. Like, how do you forget that? Yeah. Sometimes, like, if someone's on a till with me, I will just take their stuff and pay for it and be like, we'll sort it out later. Yeah. And even if we don't, I'm not like hounding them for it. No. That's why we're not rich, Talissa. That is why I'm not rich. 100%. Yeah. So, this guy, he also refused to chip in a few pounds for unforeseen repairs to the bowling green for the same reason. And he refused to participate in whip rounds for colleagues' birthdays. Now, I have a little bit of an issue with this. <laughs> I do hate stingy people, okay? Yeah. But sometimes in an office, they're like, oh, it's blah blah's birthday. I'm like, I don't even, I don't, I barely know them. I don't really like them that much. Like, <laughs> I resent spending money on people who I don't know or like. Yeah. <laughs> when you're at work, I feel like I've been in a couple of different work situations where people do that. And it's like, I think my last job where that happened, it was very... You know how you have, like, your work friends? You would yeah. ask them if they wanted to pitch in for your other work friend's birthday. But you wouldn't yeah. ask the whole floor or the whole office, you know? Yeah, it's just such a, like, everybody goes through it and it's such a contentious issue. Like, everyone has their own opinion on it. Right. Um. Yeah, and I'm also like, look, I really like you guys, but I don't need a gift from you. No. Like, <laughs> keep your money come out for a drink or something like but then i'm just not a very like gift person i i don't know like i'd i think about spending time with people or like doing things for them rather than buying them something right but that's like um you know that like five love languages thing that you that you showed me yes where it's like some people show their love with attention some people show their love with compliments some people show it with money some people show it with time like everyone or physical touch like everyone has different styles yeah uh yeah and i'm not fussed on people buying me presents at all right i like getting presents but only specific ones (laughs) like (laughs) never stray from the list (laughs) (laughs) exactly don't buy me clothes don't buy me jewelry will can buy me jewelry because he knows me best but i i just don't like when anyone else gets me clothes or jewelry because it's like you don't know what I wear. Don't and you have do a that. really specific style, like I do, and and like I I spend like forever trying to choose things when I'm buying yeah. things to wear. So I don't want you <laughs> to spend five minutes and be like, oh, she'll like that. Like that's not how I work. <laughs> yeah. Also, like I think I think just the main thing for me is. Just keep your money. Like, I don't need your yeah. money. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm fine. I just want you to be there and have a drink with me or like, right. yeah, just keep your money. It's fine. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think also I feel guilty because I'm shit at buying presents back. So oh, me too. I feel like I'm just take, take, take. <laughs> like, this present is like giving me a big bag of guilt <laughs> to carry around <laughs> with me <laughs> about how I'm a shit friend to you. Yeah. Um, so stressful. Yeah, I'm never getting any presents again after this, am I? That's fine. Um, <laughs> so he wouldn't put oh. money in for someone's birthday. We can understand with that, but <laughs> okay, I'm I can I'm ready to hear him out for the birthday thing. Yeah, but the but cup of tea at the bowls club, grow up. <laughs> That's my opinion on it. Yeah. Okay. On the 11th of July, police reported that they had arrested a local man and questioned him on suspicion of murder and disposing of a body. He was initially released on bail, and then it turned out that he was innocent. So this man wasn't named, um, thankfully, because he definitely was innocent, and I'm going to tell you why. Because on the 15th of July, police reported that they had been tipped off by a neighbour that there was a second secret septic tank under the garage. Oh. There... 
The police found an arm sticking out of the tank, which turned out to be Helen. And I'm really sorry, but the remains of Helen's dog, Boris. No. What did Boris do to you? (laughs) I mean, obviously Helen did nothing, but still, Boris. (laughs) I think he just knew that she loved that dog and she wouldn't leave without it. Yeah. So and probably the dog his... was protective of her as well. Yeah, so to make the story look viable, he had to get rid of... Boris had to go. Right. I think this is why this story stuck in my mind because I was like, Boris! <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> um, no! No! <laughs> uh, it's fucking cute as well. <laughs> I'll put Aww. a picture up. <laughs> Ian tried to throw police off the scent by parking his car over the entrance to the cesspit. So that's why they didn't know it was there. Okay. During questioning, they tell Ian he was... They know this about the situation. He was the last person to see her alive. He didn't report her missing for four days. He was painfully vague in his recollection of what happened that day. And he visited the place he said she went to the day after she was reported missing, but didn't mention this to the police. So he reported her missing and then he went to the cottage, but he didn't tell police that he went to the cottage. Mm -hmm. He said that he'd asked people around the village and they'd said that they hadn't seen her. Okay. During that visit to the cottage on the 16th, Ian had inadvertently connected Helen's mobile phone to the Wi-Fi router in the holiday home. And he suggested strongly in the 999 call that she'd taken her phone with her when it was clear that he was in possession of it after the police saw that it connected to the Wi-Fi. That's good old-fashioned detective work, isn't yeah. it? They said, where's her phone? He's like, I don't know, I guess it's with her. But yeah, right. clearly he had it. So he was charged on the 16th of July with murder, perverting the course of justice and preventing a lawful burial. He remained in custody and appeared at St. Albans Court on the 19th of July. And then on the 12th of October, he pleaded not guilty. So... His trial was set for January 2017. Yeah, so not guilty? Why? Yep. Oh, you'll see, my friend. (laughs) Like, absolute cock and bull story. (laughs) Again, much like your one, they're very similar. So the jury was told by Helen's brother that during his only visit to her home in Royston, she joked about the cesspit in the garage being a good place to hide a body and that the remark had been made in full earshot of Ian. Mm. They also heard that it was alleged by the prosecution that Ian had twice attempted to use power of attorney to sell a flat owned by Helen. These attempts included one on the afternoon of the day on which she went missing, when he told the solicitor dealing with the sale that Helen was too unwell to attend in person. She supposedly went missing on the Monday. That's what he said, he hadn't seen her since then. And then on that afternoon, he tried to sell her flat without her permission and said that she was too ill to be there. That's so sketchy. It's also really stupid. Yeah, really obvious and you're leaving a trail also can you not wait i know how how <laughs> can you not wait five you? minutes yeah. <laughs> can you not wait a month <laughs> like and be like I, oh, I can't go to work i'm too depressed since helen went missing i need some cash even though he didn't need any cash because they had a shitload of cash you'll see because what an idiot oh he's i think he's like he almost strikes you as like um so again like we have a load of these but so narcissistic that he just does ridiculous stuff because he just doesn't think he'll get caught. Right. Like, he's so confident in his ability to get away with it that he makes ridiculous mistakes. Yeah. So he deleted his internet history, but this was found in a fragment of data uncovered by the police. You can never delete your internet history. No. You can't. Don't even try it. What's the point? Also, don't Google... How to hide a body. Like, he didn't do this, but people do all the time, don't they? What like, is it? Was That was in your story last week, I think. Wasn't it? Was it? What was last week? I think it was like a teenager or something. No, it was that one. It was the kids who kill. And yeah. he Googled, oh, yeah. like, how to get out, how to plead insanity or something like that. That was it. How to yeah. get away with a murder. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, ridiculous. But do you know what? It worries me because reading these stories, I'm just like, okay, so if I murder someone, I'm not going to murder someone. But if I was going to, um, I would like turn my phone completely off or leave it in my hat, like leave it in my house. Don't take your fucking phone with you. Don't like use a car because they have, what's it called? Like license plate recognition. Right. Like 
Don't do anything to do with money. Don't try to sell your spouse's personal possessions or like reach out to a realtor or don't do At anything least try and like act that. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> remember their color. Remember the color of their eyes. Yeah. Like, don't do any Rachel. admin. <laughs> I yeah, do know um, what the color of Will's eyes. I was put on the spot. They better be green. <laughs> they better be green when I look. I'll I'll send a picture. <laughs> right in the eye, just of his eye. Yeah. Just completely. The whole shot is the eye. So Also for me to um, remember. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to have a cheat sheet. So <laughs> Helen <laughs> Helen was an avid Arsenal supporter. So Arsenal is just a football team, like okay. a soccer team. Yeah. She regularly attended matches at the Emirates Stadium and had been a season ticket holder for a number of years. In the period that she was in quotation marks missing, Ian renewed their Arsenal season tickets, costing £1,577 each with money from their joint bank account after she was sent an email from the club on May the 12th to her personal account saying that the current tickets were due to expire. So that proves that he had access to her emails Mm -hmm. and he wanted an Arsenal ticket. (laughs) Wait, he won't pay for a cup of tea, but he'll pay for season tickets for him and his dead wife. 1,570. You're probably thinking, I'll take someone else. Like, yeah. genuinely, that is probably what he was thinking. Right. <laughs> and it was probably it was her probably, money. Well, yeah, it's in a joint account. Yeah. But um, he was a software engineer. So I'm sure he didn't earn, like, shit money. But she was a successful author. Right. So right. very successful author. Yeah. So um, she had just a lot more money than him. Okay. The, ju- the jury heard that on the day she vanished, Ian increased a standing order to transfer money from Helen's bank account to their joint account from £600 to £4,000 per month. Okay. So that's a massive jump and he can access her bank. <laughs> He's got access to nearly everything. Vince couldn't get into my bank and change money. I think, well, Will and I have a joint account, but... I don't know his passwords to get into his bank, his personal no. bank account. And I don't think he has for me either. Also, they're not even married yet. They're engaged. Oh, yeah. So it's not like it's her husband. It's just like they're just like cohabiting. Right. So, and they're like in um, their 50s. So they should very well have things separate. You'd think so. They would. Yeah, it's difficult for me because I've never had a joint account with someone because I've just never been in a relationship long enough. <laughs> genuinely that is why (laughs) i'm sure i will have a joint account at some point but it would make me feel really it would make me feel really insecure to not have my own bank account oh yeah my own money in it no no i couldn't do that even if i have no money i still want my own bank (laughs) account (laughs) i want my own i want my own card my own get out of jail free card yeah yeah. so the jury learned ian was the main beneficiary of helen's 3.4 million pounds estate and would also benefit from a large life insurance policy. Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Tick. Yeah. The jury was played the call in which Ian reported her missing and noticed his lack of knowledge about basic details regarding Helen. Helen's mother, Eileen, great mum name. Yes. Um, tes- that is great. Testified that Helen had been concerned that she was sleeping excessively and she felt like she was going mad. The prosecution Aww. stated that traces of anti-insomnia medication had been found in Helen's body it was suggested that Ian had been drugging her for months. Wow. Giving evidence in his defence, this is the insane, ridiculous story that he made up. Okay. <laughs> so, strap in. Yes. Ian claimed that Helen and her dog Boris had been kidnapped on the 11th of April by two men called Nick and Joe. <laughs> That's it. No second name. Okay. Saying that he had not told the police about this to keep Helen safe. And that the kidnappers had demanded a ransom of £500,000. He said that he had spoken to her for the last time on a mobile phone belonging to one of the men on the 15th of April. He was subsequently presented in court with two men who the prosecution alleged he had based the description of the kidnappers on. (laughs) This is so embarrassing. Why did his lawyers let him tell this story? I guess this might be the old... um, insist that you go on the stand or represent yourself in court bingo card uh... box <laughs> Sh- shut up just don't say anything guys don't so, know how guilty they look sometimes they really don't 
Also, like, a woman's instinct is so on point. I am like a fucking bloodhound for deception. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, I'm watching, like, um, Breaking Bad, and it's like, Skylar White knows from yes. episode one yes. <laughs> like, that he is fucking lying. <laughs> and he just thinks he's getting away with it, like, 100%. But, like, right. she knows the whole time. Women know. Yes. So, yeah. So anyway, they cart in these two people that basically the prosecution were like, when you said Nick and you described him, it seems an awful lot like this guy. <laughs> it's a guy called Nick Cook, which is Ian's next door neighbour, and Joe Capullo, whom he knew from his former home in Bassingbourne. I don't know where that is. Ian admitted to knowing both men, but denied that they matched the descriptions of the kidnappers, which he had given to the police, saying... They don't compare at all. Like, who are you? Fucking Donald Trump. Right. Like, just saying shit. <laughs> the jury heard of several sightings of Helen after the time at which the prosecution alleged the murder had taken place. One of Helen's neighbours gave evidence that she had seen the author walking her dash hound Boris between 1540 and 1550 on the day of her disappearance. Okay. Two other neighbours said that they had seen her walking her dog that day between 1320 and 1420. And then a further witness claimed to have seen Helen in Broadstairs after her alleged murder, but admitted under cross-examination that he had not thought about the sighting until a journalist from The Sun had interviewed him. He accepted that the sighting could have been in March before Helen was reported missing. So the, like, shitty paper came in and just basically fuddled the witnesses. Like, right. So Great job, The Sun. Oh, Great the Sun, journalism. Mate. I wouldn't even wipe my ass with it. Like, it's <laughs> for fear of sucking up stupid with my ass. Like, it's so <laughs> shit. It's unbelievable. In his closing statement, prosecutor Stuart Trimmer QC told the jury that Ian's version of events was quite absurd and that the accused had grossly deceived Helen, saying, It's perfectly plain. She was completely overwhelmed by what some people might call love bombing, which is what we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of common sense and knowledge that someone shortly bereaved might not have the logical equipment to see that she was being deceived. So, yeah, he just, like, came in, swept her off her feet and was like, my wife's dead as well. Like, yes. let's, let's be in love. And oh, so what money. So what happened there? Are you going to get into it? Oh, like what he did? With his other dead wife. Yes, it's coming. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, the... Prosecution alleged that Ian had secretly drugged Helen with Zopiclone sleeping pills for several months before he suffocated her. And it was thought that she may have still been alive, although unconscious, when he dumped her in the cesspit. Aww. Ugh. Dread to think what he did with Boris. Like, he wasn't giving Boris little tiny dog Zopiclone. No. He must have just chucked him in. Like, that's what I think. Or he... I mean, would you throttle a tiny dash hound? Like, <laughs> Boris! Aww. <laughs> That makes me so sad. It's really, really annoying as well because Boris is the name of our prime minister at the moment who is an absolute pipe. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> whenever I hear the name Boris, it reminds me of our dick of a prime minister. That's what I thought of when you said it at first. I know, but I didn't want to sully Boris's good name with <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> so I didn't want to sully Boris's memory. So um, on the 22nd of February, 2017, it took the jury just one day to find Ian guilty of murder. The judge sentenced Ian to life with a minimum term of 34 years. Wow. Which is pretty hefty sentence in England, to be fair. Yeah. So that means like most time, most of the time it'd be like 25 years or 20 years. So that just means that you're in for life, but after 25 years, you can apply for parole. Right. He's got 34 years before he can apply for parole. And he's quite old at this point. So here's what you're waiting for, Rach. Following Ian's conviction... The police began to re-examine the death of his first wife, Diane. She suffered from epilepsy and was found dead in 2010 in their garden. The coroner ruled the death was due to complications with her epilepsy. But on the 28th of August 2018, he was arrested and questioned on suspicion of murdering Diane. He was charged with her death and a plea hearing is scheduled for the 21st of September 2020. Wow. And he, and he will be 90 before he can apply for parole. Good luck to that guy. Oh, he's so dead before then. <laughs> yeah. Prison prison does not extend your life expectancy. No. Like, he so killed his first wife. Totally. Right. And then he's like, 
he's kind of like fishing around on like bereavement sites for like other bereaved women. Do you know what I mean? It's just really. I like, bet you he felt like lurky. he hit the jackpot. Well, he basically did. She's yeah. a fucking millionaire. Yeah, and she does little videos and stuff on YouTube, and there's a video of her and she's talking. And she's saying, oh, I was looking, I'm not very good at this, so I was looking up videos of how to do YouTube videos, and she was like, the the people that uh, were doing the guides were basically fetuses. (laughs) (laughs) She's really, she's really funny and fun, and like, she says, yeah, and she says, um, you know, and the boys, they just look so young, and the girls are just, they're just impossibly gorgeous, and so I'm trying this and I'm not very good at it, but here you go. And like, you know, she's Aww. just so like down to earth. Yeah, she's lovely. I'm going to YouTube um, that. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, yeah. I'll try and find a link to it and send it to you. But um, okay. so that's the story of Helen Bailey and Little wow. So you basically watched all this unfold. Yes. So, you know, when you just like glance at the telly and it's on the news and you're like, fucking husband did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Like, yes. Husband did it. Husband did it. And then came out of the news it was like there has been a body found in a cesspit under and you're just like oh my god and yeah. you know when they they haven't identified the body because they just can't do that right but you're like well who else is it gonna fucking be? i know yeah who else has a tiny little dog like dash hound that's also gonna and be in who there? is missing yeah and who lived there like it's just <laughs> like i know you can't say it but obviously it is so you said it was 2016 and i think you said april 15th right yeah, that's when she was reported missing, yeah. That's when I first met you. Really? Yeah, April 15th, oh, 2016. Oh, that's like a nice little upshot out of this hideous dog <laughs> murder. <laughs> no, that was mine and Will's yeah. wedding that you came to, so. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, God, that was such a good wedding. <laughs> it was You've fun. you inspired me for my wedding. Really? Because, yeah, because my friends and my like my brother's getting married and he's having it at this place like really beautiful sort of country home and stuff and I don't know how much it costs like obviously I'm not going to ask but I'm like I don't want to spend anywhere near that <laughs> like I remember when I came to your wedding and you had like a canoe full of beers and I was like that's the level I'm going for <laughs> like <laughs> and you had like games outside and it was just really kind of like make do but really lovely as well yeah like you can do stuff cheap and not not look like a skin (laughs) flint right and look like what we did was it that's what we did we looked at all these different wedding venues and it was like you need to put ten thousand dollars down to have and you need to have this many people and you're paying for this you know per head and it was like we we ended up that place that we had it in is a it was a deli it was called a deli oh really yeah (laughs) Oh, it didn't but, look like a deli. It no, it doesn't look like a deli at all. Like you go in, there's a stage, there's a dance floor, there's two different rooms, there's a bar, there's an outside bit. It was a great place. Yeah. So that's it my recommendation to anyone who wants to save money on a wedding is... Find an old deli. <laughs> yeah, just look at alternative <laughs> places and see if they'll host your wedding. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I don't know who they were. But I obviously got very drunk because it was a wedding. And I ended up talking to some very old people. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever I was sat, just a very old guy. (laughs) For so long. And I think he wanted to get rid of me, but he was just like too polite. That was probably Will's grandpa. Probably. Like, I wish I could pick out a photo and be like, this dude. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. So, yeah. How long have we known each other now then? Was that four, four and a half four years. years? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rach. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's a nice note to end on. Unless you want to bring up the death penalty again. <laughs> nah. We're good. Nah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Bye then. <laughs> thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks, bye. <laughs>